Yo, yo, yo. There we go. Good morning, Promise of Victory fam, family. I hope everyone has had an amazing week, and I hope next week is better than this last week, if possible. Speaking of weeks, only 16 weeks left until Christmas. You're welcome. No pressure. Who's already doing Christmas shopping? Shame on you. You make me look bad. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Israel Smith. My lovely wife and I, uh, she and I have the honor and privilege to be the student pastors here at Promise of Victory. Uh, I love this church. I love being a part of this family, and I'm thankful that I am part of this church. And beyond thankful that I get to help lead in this church, I want to thank Pastor Mitchum and Pastor Amanda for trusting us with the student ministry, for trusting me with this pulpit today. I know I was going to look right at her. She's not out here right now. I know that they don't, you guys, they just don't let anyone up here, and it's uh, a complete trust when they let someone do what I'm doing, and I recognize the honor and privilege from man, and more importantly, I recognize the honor and privilege that I get to be up here from God. Thank you guys for being my family. Uh, Thank you for the trust you give me in charity, Uh, and it is nothing less than an honor and a privilege to serve here. Uh, Something I always do is I like to pray before because I am very ADD, ADHD, ADOS, attention deficit. Oh, shiny. That is me. So I like to try to focus myself. So if you want to pray with me, dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you touch right now, touch this moment as we share this together. God, it is by no mistake people are here, where they're sitting, what they went through today. It is by no mistake they went through all that stuff and they ended up here this morning. It is by no mistake I'm going to say what you're going to have me say. God, this is a divine appointment. This is nothing to do with me, nothing to do with this. is all you. God, and I pray that you'll touch this moment. Let us all get something out of this. God, let the distractions be minimal. God, let them hear what they need to hear. Let me say what I need to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we jump into today, uh, let's paint a word picture together. Okay, let's all use our imagination. This is at this point, the teenagers would be like, because they just woke up, and I'd say, put on your imagination cap. I really do it. Hopefully it makes them laugh because I'm treating them like kids' kids. But let's paint this word picture together. Dinner is over. Dinner was delicious. But as evening turns into night, you get a hankering for something sweet. I know no one else suffers from this. It's just Israel Smith. I get it. Anyway, peeking through the cabinets, hmm, what we got over here? What do we got in the fridge, right? Open, lower expectations, open again. Peeking through the cabinets, hmm, what, what can I get into right now? And after several minutes of several cabinets, you find it. You see an unopened package of Oreos. Mm. Mm. Nobody, just me. However, before you get excited, because if you've ever, has anyone ever like poured cereal, cereal into a bowl and realized there's nothing to moisten that cereal with? So before you get excited, you run to the fridge, sling it open, and you hear the angels sing. A full gallon of milk. And for those of you that are like, I'm tired of that skim, it's whole milk. It's a full gallon. Now it's on. But there's one more thing. The only thing that would make this better is a cookie dunking cup. Right? I don't mean that if you see the commercials, they're like glass. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? They're nice. They're pretty. You can tell no cookie has ever been smudged on the inside of that thing. It's not, that's, that's not real life. That's like two deers on a greeting card meeting by the brook in the meadow. Oh, no, it's not real life. 
I mean the dog ugly, coke bottle thick, discolored, a decade old, big, nasty plastic cup. Does anyone have a cookie dunking cup? Just, just, just chunky up? Cool. Boom! You find that, it's in the back of the cabinet where you hid it years ago. It is on. Fast forward to an hour later, you're balled up in the fetal position, thinking, I've made a huge mistake. No one, re no one raise your hand. I'll do it, though. That's me. What started with the intention of enjoying a few Oreos ended up becoming a binge-eating session, and now you're sick to your stomach because you ate two whole sleeves of family-sized double-stuffed Oreos. I'll testify. <laughs> What's the serving size? Two cookies? Please. <laughs> Come on. It's a sleeve. <laughs> I had two servings. <laughs> uh, maybe there's no one here, but let's be honest. We've all done something like that. Maybe someone's like, I'm in shape. How dare you? Maybe we've, we've all done something. With food, by the way, brownie bites. I hate cherry buys these little brownie bites. If you have, like, if somebody make baked brownies, you can eat three and be like, I'm done. You get those brownie bites, you eat 20, and you're like, that's not bad. And before you know it, you ate the whole thing. Potato chips, brownie bites, pizza. We've all at some point done something like that. And that's what we're talking about today. Uh, it, it happens far too often in life that we start with something we dabble in it, we take a few, and before we know it, we've eaten too many Oreos, and now we're sick to our stomach. And let's be honest, outside of having a hankering for sweets, we're really not talking about cookies. We're in church. He's got an angle. We're talking about life because life happens, because sleeves of Oreos happen. You blink through any moment in life, and it's over at lightning speed. The beauty of it is, uh, me and Charity, I feel like we have, we, we know that, and, and we're living every moment with Ezra, and it's awesome. I've heard all the parents say, blink and you miss it, blink and you miss it, and I don't, I, I am going to miss it, but we're enjoying every moment we can. Charity sacrifices sleep so she can hang out with that, that awesome feller who's awake right now. Hoorah. You blink through any moment, life is over, and during that blink, sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we mess up huge. Paul said this in Romans 7. You've all probably heard this at some point. So the trouble is not with the law, for, the, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. On a side note, Paul, one of the greatest apostles, claims to be a slave to sin. I think, I think it's just cool to know that Paul kept himself humble when he's showing us how we need to see ourselves with God. I'm all too human, I'm a slave to sin. Verse 15, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one who is doing wrong, it is the sin living in me that does it. And now that nothing good lives in me, and I know that nothing good lives in me, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I don't want to eat two sleeves of Oreos, but I end up curled in a fetal position. Verse 20, but if I do what I don't want to do, am I not, am I not really the one doing wrong? 
I am, not, <laughs> I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. My whole life, this is a little bit of my testimony here, my whole life I've never touched alcohol. I've never tried any recreational drug. I, I, I proudly say that, meaning I've never not been sober. I've had emotional moments, sure, but I've never not been sober. I'm not saying that to toot my own horn like, look at me, I'm good. I'm not. But it's important for this next statement. I never could understand how someone could become so glued and hooked to those things. I could never comprehend how someone would take their friend's TV and pawn it for chump change while their friend is out of the house. I never understood that. But over the past few years, I've come to this conclusion. People don't have as much control as I thought they did. Just because I can't experience it doesn't mean I understand what they're going through. Obviously, someone in that position doesn't want to ruin lives, especially their own, or necessarily hurt other people. It's not a choice made deliberately. It's a choice made by whatever is controlling their lives, their issues. I once saw a social media post and it said, you drink until you're drunk. I drink until I'm homeless. I thought it was funny when I read that. It's true. I also thought it was funny when I read that. It's okay to laugh, by the way, with me. I promise it's okay. A friend of mine, next one's not so funny, so don't, I don't want you to, like, cue up a laugh here. A friend of mine who at one point was addicted to heroin said this to me. If I ever use heroin, heroin again, it will kill me. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. This is how struggles and addictions work. Now, I'm not a biologist, I'm not a psychologist, and I am nothing in between that, okay? But I can read. <laughs> and I want to share what I've learned on how the brain works when dealing with pleasurable things in life. Physical addictions are something that takes a toll on you in a physical manner. This makes them more obvious. Addictions like alcohol, narcotics, prescription medication, recreational drugs, they are physically taken, physically consumed, and have major physical side effects. You can literally see the impact on the physical life being affected. Behavioral addictions alter our lives through the same process of addiction. They consume our thoughts and actions causing cravings. Those cravings lead to compulsive actions, and we do those actions with little care of the negative consequences that they bring. We have, a lot, we have a loss of control because of that addiction we are stuck doing. A behavioral addiction has no limits, has no physical limits. A physical addiction does. The human body eventually shuts down saying, quit doing this to me, please. It will shut down, black out, pass out, you'll vomit. It will react to an overdose and sometimes to a, two sleeves of Oreos. Behavioral addictions don't make... It does not make the human body shut down. However, behavioral and physical struggles and addictions, they share the same brain change they, they, in the same way, caused by the same parts of the brain. I know biology, right? Most of you are like, I'm not in school anymore. Long story short, it's dopamine. 
dopamine. Dopamine wants the brain to remember and repeat. There's something in your brain called the reward center. That's when something good. Uh, when I ate two sleeves, when I, I mean, I, that never happened to me. When I hypothetically eat two sleeves of Oreos, they taste good. My brain's like, yummy, I want more. Before I know it, I'm sick. <laughs> the dopamine wants you to remember, repeat. Dopamine triggers a protein called delta Fos B. This protein is released whenever the brain considers something as a reward. For some of you adults, it's canceling plans. I'm kidding. <laughs> this protein released whenever the brain is considered, oh, hello. <laughs> this protein is released whenever the brain considers something as a reward. Delta Fos B, this, listen, when I heard this next thing, it scared the snot out of me. Delta Fos B, the thing that makes it, makes it fun, sticks around in the brain for eight weeks after the last binge or the last use. Eight weeks. You can't just have one last thing. Eight weeks. And the more that protein sticks around, the more it rewires the brain to want it. Now, to it is different to everybody, okay? Everyone doesn't have the same struggles. Whatever it is, but this creates a cycle the, the rush that creates the feeling of wanting it, a deep craving, it triggers the production of more Delta Fos B, which then continues to reinforce wanting it. It's a vicious cycle. Think of it this way. When someone is walking through the woods, I like going camping, okay? When someone's walking through the woods, maybe they start walking on an uncreative path. Let's say there's a nice path here, but I'm going to go that way. If everybody starts going that way on this uncreative path, eventually that path will become the preferred one. If no one touches this path and everyone goes down this path in the woods, this path will become the preferred path to take. And the easiest path to take over time because that one will grow up again. In the human brain, when one path becomes stronger, the other path becomes weaker. As the new path continually gets used, that one grows up, that one does not. It's easier to go this way than that way. This is what is known as rewriting the brain. God created humans, us. If you didn't know you're human, you do now. He created us with desires for pleasure on purpose. It was a God thing to want to feel good. It was a God thing to want to taste good food. It was a God thing to want to do certain things, but the way God intended for the human brain to work can be rewritten by us. That is also terrifying. We can rewrite what God intended for us. They say nerve cells that fire together wire together. So if all this other stuff that's not supposed to be going on at the same time starts working at the same time, they eventually start to work together at the same time all the time. So the pathway that the brain and the brain that God created was meant to fire a certain way at certain times to certain cues and other things like binge eating sweets, like shopping. Hey, they don't call it retail therapy for nothing. Hey, and what's the age-old trope about dealing with a heartbreak or a breakup in sitcoms? They always get something out of the freezer. It's cold, tastes delicious, ice cream, a pint of ice cream. Uh, I do that if Ohio State loses. I just down a pint of ice cream. You think I'm kidding. <laughs> but also things like 
negative thinking. You can be addicted to that. Gossip. All the way to alcohol, drugs, pornography, even lust. Whatever gives us a rush or reward, it all fires a different way when we do it our way. And these pathways compete with one another. And what the brain sees, the brain starts to want. So what you feed yourself is what you want. The brain can create a new normal. Also terrifying. When I was praying for uh, what to do today, I felt like someone needed to hear about God's freedom. Nothing tastes better than freedom. We as humans have fallen into struggles, into addictions. Addictions aren't just old school sins, by the way. I don't mean that. It's not just someone being an alcoholic or hooked on heroin, uh, looking at pornography, gambling all the money away. It can be gossip, manipulation, being addicted to the pain, being the victim, being miserable, getting, needing attention, jealousy. I can, we can go on and make a list that's huge. But things that chain us up, that glue us down, they keep us from freedom. God knew exactly who would be here today, and I really believe that today someone needs to hear this. There is freedom. There is freedom for you, freedom from the struggle, the addiction, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame. There is freedom here today. I can't truly understand what alcohol does to somebody. I, I lived in a house where it was. I didn't. I never did. I can't truly understand it. I can't truly understand someone who's hooked on drugs. I will never understand that. I can understand it as much as I can from the out. I will never understand it. And, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I can't understand someone who is hooked on gambling. I, I can't do that. But I do want to testify real quick. Not because of my victory. Not because of anything I've done for myself. Because of what God helped me to do. What I'm about to say, I'm so emotional right now because I've never done it in an environment like this at all. I've said this to a few friends in smaller settings. I've never done this. But if I were to make a list prioritizing all the things I want to accomplish in the next 10 years, one of my very top priorities one of my very top priorities would be to have not looked at porn for 10 years. I had fought with that addiction for a long time. I actually never thought I was addicted. I guess that's the first step, right? I would try to fight it, and I couldn't. I couldn't fight it. I would veer away. Hey, hey, I've had a, I've had a few good weeks, a, few, a month, a couple months, and a boom, I'd be right back. I hated myself for it. I hated myself for it. I would try to fight it again, all by myself. It got to the point where I was ashamed to talk to God about it. <laughs> I've been saved since eight, and I couldn't talk to God about my problem, let alone talk to my friends, my brothers in Christ, my youth pastors. My, I couldn't talk to anybody. And then one day something just clicked. I wish I had the guts to do this earlier in my life than when I did it. 
I decided I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of feeling like this. I found a few of my friends. And listen, when you find friends in situations when you're going through stuff, don't find, I talked about the gossips, don't find them. Find someone who ain't going to say a word and they're just going to pray. And I'm going to, on a side note, there's a thing in church world called accountability partners. If someone asks you to be an accountability partner, they're saying, hey, I need help. <laughs> when someone asks you that, I'm just going to be honest, you need to be the active one. Because if the person asking you for the accountability problem has a problem, they're not going to go to you when they mess up all the time because they're ashamed. If you are somebody's partner, oh, I, I got stuff. <laughs> I knew I was going to, I knew the waterfalls were coming today. <laughs> if, if you're the person needing accountability, you're going to be ashamed about it. So if you're ever asked to help somebody, text them once a week. Hey, what's up? You been doing good? You stayed off that? You did away from this, and it doesn't have to be something as dark and heavy that I'm talking about, but addictions are addictions. Weights are weights. Hey, how you doing? You doing better? Hey, this, that. You know, if somebody's like, hey, I'm on a diet, man. You need to text me. Make sure I'm not eating, like, two sleeves of Oreos, right? Hey, you eating good? You losing weight? I found a few of my closest friends. My rider dies. People that I know wouldn't say a word to anyone else, and they wouldn't judge me, and I begged Beg them to pray for me. Please pray. It wasn't like, hey, will you pray for me? Yeah, sure. No, 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 pray. I want you to pray for me. I would call them when I was struggling because when I'm talking on the phone, I can't be doing anything else. I'm on the phone. I'm one of those walking talkers, right? So I get my steps in. Obviously, I work out. I started praying every night for God to help me. It was not easy. It was not easy. And I have to guard myself to this day. There are certain shows I won't watch, shows on Netflix, shows on HBO, shows on just there are certain things I won't watch. I watched one episode of a specific show that will go unnamed because I don't want anyone to feel, I don't want anyone to feel me putting my stuff on them. But I knew that there was some less than moral scenes in the first season and I didn't want to be tempted by any more of those scenes. I, put, I, I did everything I could. I never want to put myself in a place to be tempted to fall back into that pit. And let me add something. This freedom is the best thing I've ever tasted. It's the best thing I've ever had. If anyone out there finds this uncomfortable, I would apologize, but you have no idea how it feels up here right now. So deal with it. <laughs> I know the specific part of this already uncomfortable topic can make people squirm. But listen to this. About 200,000 Americans are addicted to porn. That doesn't include viewers that aren't addicted. 35% of all downloads on the internet are porn related. Before the age of 18, Boys have a 90% chance of being exposed to porn. Girls before 18 have a 60% chance. About half of each of those will be exposed, half of all girls, half of all boys, will be exposed to the porn before the age of 13. Technology. 25% of young adults rely on porn for some sort of education. And for anyone listening to this, if this is you, you are not alone. 
If more of us started banding together and, and stop letting the shame and guilt keep us from talking about this, from testifying about this, oh, I can't, I can't talk. I couldn't talk to God about it. But if we came together and we talked about this, how much stronger would we be? Hey, I'm struggling. And it doesn't have to be this addiction. Hey, I'm struggling. I need help. We need to stand together. I had this fear. I still do a little that now having said this out loud, I will be judged. And listen, you do you. You do you, boo. Uh, God hit me with something when I was a teenager. He said, is it more important to be holy or to appear holy? I was like 18. It wasn't me. Is it more important to be holy or to appear holy? Some people want to look good. I got to the point where I did not care how I looked. I had to go to my friends and tell them I was struggling. It was more important for me to be holy than to look holy. So you do you, boo. If you, wanna, if you think less of me, I'm sorry. We all have our struggles, though. But know this. There are tons of people hurting out there dealing with what I dealt with, dealing with other addictions, and not just from the classics. They need help in every way possible, people hurting, people in pain. Yes, we need to pursue holiness, absolutely. Yes, we need to pursue righteousness, but we need to realize that shame and guilt aren't tools of heaven. We need to not cast shame and guilt on anyone. We can pray for God's conviction. Shame and guilt are manipulative, manipulative tools that come from hatred. Shame and guilt push people away. Godly conviction comes from a place of love. That's the difference. These are a few of the things that happen to us when we have a problem that we leave lingering around. Problem becomes a struggle. Oh, man, I did it once. Ah, did it twice. Ah, oh, no, I'm doing it. It's like quicksand. You move, you sink. You move, you sink. You move, you sink. Problem becomes a struggle. Struggle can become the master if left unchecked and it can turn into an addiction. And it can take over someone's life and dictate and force someone to think and dwell on certain things, to act certain ways, to spend, to spend money, time, and energy on other certain things, even if they hate what they're doing, even if they hate themselves for doing it. It isolates through guilt and shame. It makes people become more self-centered. It also steals joy because happiness based on circumstances doesn't last. The real problem is the more we do these things, it leaves us wanting more, liking it less, and never being really satisfied. Now, there are a few things we can do to help ourselves, but we'll just hit the big ones. Don't be alone. Go into another room. There are a ton of bad habits that are hard to do when someone else is around. If you're trying to kick the habit of smoking and somebody knows about it, you won't do it in front of them. Go be with them. If you're trying to kick the habit of porn, go talk to a friend. If you're trying to kick the habit of fill in the blank, go talk to a friend, unless your, unless your problem is gossip. <laughs> don't, don't talk to a friend. Keep your mouth shut. There's a fine line between venting and complaining. Free advice. I've had to learn that the hard way. There are a ton of bad habits that are hard to do when you're around other people. 
Another way to not be alone, text, call. This next one, you can judge me for different reasons. Get on your PlayStation or Xbox and play a game with your friends. Be with someone. Another, another reason to not be alone, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about the, one of the most ferocious animals on the planet, cats. Meow. Cats have bad eyes. By the way, a lion is a cat. That's kind of where we're heading. So when you're on a safari, you're on that big truck, right? You ever seen those videos where, like, the person's sitting on the edge of the truck, no protection, looks over, and there's a lion? I've seen it, and I would, there'd be the smell of ammonia everywhere if you catch my drift. People are instructed, stick together. Don't wander off. Because a lion's eyesight, listen, cats are known for not having good eyesight. A lion's eyesight is not the greatest. It can easily spot someone, though, that's by itself. It sees a big bird together, but when you're by yourself, it sees that. And where do lions hunt? On the, people, on the ones that are by themselves, on the weak. When you're alone, the struggle is harder, and shame and guilt are great at keeping us all alone. We push people away. Do not be alone because you're not alone. Find someone to help you. You are not alone. We can also play dead. Hear me out. I once heard someone else preaching. He told a story about a man on an airplane. This man was a former alcoholic. He was asked, how do you say no to alcohol when the steward or stewardess walks by, given that you've had this problem? He's, his response was, I pretend to be asleep. He don't have to say no, but he ain't going to say yes. So he pretends to be asleep. He plays dead. Another thing we can do is run. Not on the trail. I mean, that wouldn't hurt you. Just physically to keep you alive longer. Run. James 4, 7 says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is true for most cases, although we need God. It's not like we're, I'm not strong enough by myself. I need God. But if we look back in Genesis, we read about a guy named Joseph. Because Joseph was his daddy's favorite. His brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery. That's how much they hated him. Joseph would later find himself serving in the house of a man named Potiphar. The Bible tells us, Joseph, he's a good-looking feller. Probably not as good-looking as that guy that does the announcement videos. At some point, Potiphar's wife couldn't handle Joseph's heat no more. She just had to have him. She begged, she begged, she begged. No, no, no. Please, please, please. No, no, no. She just couldn't take it. She grabbed him by the coat at one point and said, Studley, this is happening. Joseph said, nay, nay, and he ran, leaving his coat in her hands. Joseph ran from temptation. He didn't stay to fight it. He didn't stay to have a reasonable, logical discussion. Hey, we shouldn't do this for this reason, this reason, this reason. He ran. He took off and left her hanging onto his I picture like, like the cartoons where the feet move, but the body doesn't. And he's gone, and the coat, and the coat's back. That's how he ran, and he left it behind. Matthew says, keep watch and pray that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Second Timothy, Second Timothy, by, Timothy, by the way, was a young pastor. Run from the temptations that capture young people. Always do the right thing. Be faithful, loving, and easy to get along with. Worship with other people whose hearts are pure. He said, run from temptations. First Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. 
All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Sometimes we need to run. Sometimes we need to get away, and we need to, we need to do it as soon as possible, some of us. And when that moment comes, run as fast as you can. This is specific, by the way, for a sexual sin. But this would work in a pinch for the rest of them. Run and leave behind what you don't need. Leave behind what can't help you go forward. Finally, another thing we can do is shake it off. Beyonce. Shake it off. Ezra likes, nay, loves the stairs. Scares me to death. He'll run straight for the stairs. Can't even walk that well. He runs for the stairs. He sees stairs. He takes off like a rocket. He does not care if you hold his hand, which is the cutest thing in the world. You hold his hand. You're like, step up. And Charity counts with him. I should probably do the same thing, right? But like, big step, buddy. Yeah. You know, you do a whole game with it. He doesn't care if you're holding his hand or if he's crawling up the stairs. He loves stairs. One thing he does, though, is he likes to take things with him or try to, up the stairs when he leaves the room. He'll grab a toy when he leaves the room and run for the stairs. And he tries to carry them up the stairs. He can't. He, he, that's his steps up the stairs. He can't do it. So I have a few things here that Ezra has used before while try, trying to climb the stairs. Oh, yeah. Like, non-exaggerative. Let's start with the small stuff. In the scary stuff, there's this little screwdriver. Not harmful, right? It's plastic. Nobody panic. He loves this thing. He puts, there's a little tool set from Mickey. He puts it on there. We spin it like a little pinwheel. He loves this thing. He'll try to carry this. This is doable if I'm holding his hand, right? Yeah. Then there's the obvious. You know, every kid has these at one point. And he can put, two, he, can, he can palm almost three in one hand now. But can you imagine this and that little feller's hands right there? Ah, trying to climb the stairs. Not so good. Sometimes he upgrades to these. And he's like carrying them both, wanting to go up the stairs. Is he mad I got his toys? <laughs> Mama might be mad I didn't ask her. <laughs> then, something new he's doing, he loves his shoes. He'll get his shoes, I mean, I can't find a match anymore. He throws them all over the house. He'll try to carry these everywhere. Little shoes. They're cute. Right? Well, one day, he decided to upgrade. He grabbed this thing. <laughs> the little, little fellow dances there. He loves this thing. He thinks it's hilarious for two seconds. Then his attention span's gone like his daddy's. He tries to carry this up the stairs. This, one, this one's a funny one. His little weed eater. And for the record, it's real. He puts it to his face, okay? Yeah, it's a little weeder. He tries to carry this up the stairs, but it's usually dragging. This is one. And then there's this one. He loves this thing. Woo. He loves the noise, and he'll drag it up three or four stairs. Then this, this part eventually pops off, and he's stuck with this. I call it like, it's like from the movie Elf. It's like a little cane, right? 
Well, then one day he decided, I'm taking this up the stairs. Cute little Tonka truck. It's cute. He's, he's not even 18 months, and he makes the truck noise. Well, then one day he really got brave, and he wanted to bring this up the stairs. Yeah, okay, that's happening, Ezra. That's going up the stairs with you. So I'll have to carry it here while holding his hand with my other hand and say, buddy, we'll take it up there. And he's staring at his toy, worried he's going to miss out on his toy the whole time. He tries to carry these things up the stairs. But let's be honest. He can't get to where he's going, where he wants to go, carrying these giant things up the stairs. He, his little hands can't handle that. He cannot do it. It's borderline physically impossible. One day, he'll have a kid that's way down the road, but we already talked about that because we're those kind of parents. And there'll be a time where he'll be doing the same thing. You can't carry that up there, buddy. You can't make it up the stairs with that. He can't make it up while holding on to the things that are weighing him down. We can't move up while holding on to things dragging us down. We have to let go of some things to make it to the next step. Here's a great example. When I started dating this beautiful redhead named Charity, I could not act how I always acted. This is, I say this to the teens when we're in there. If you want to be in a relationship, you can't be flirting with everyone else. There are certain things now you are expected to do. You have to let go of some old habits if you want to move forward in this one. There are some things we have to let go to move forward. Maybe that means to stop watching, watching certain shows. Maybe it means getting a new phone with no internet. The Bible says, pluck your own eye out if it causes you to sin. Maybe it means going to certain restaurants that serve certain things or don't serve certain things. Maybe it means playing dead. Maybe it means running away from the problem, and here's the hardest one. Maybe it means changing who you hang out with. That might be one of the things pulling you down. Maybe it means running to God and running away from the problem. It's okay to outgrow some things in your life, and I hate to say what I'm about to say. It doesn't mean you don't love them. doesn't mean you're still not friends with them, but you can outgrow people. I do tell the teens that. You know how teens are. You can outgrow people. Hey, people can outgrow you. It goes both ways. And sometimes you got to let that go. Not that you don't love them. Not that you're not going to talk to them. But, like, we're not in the same life anymore. And, and it's, sometimes it's a mutual separation. But we're not going the same way. I can't go where I'm going and hang out with you all the time. If I hang out with you, I'm going to do this. And if I do this, I'm running from God. I'm struggling. I'm addicted. So stop letting the enjoyment of a show from weighing you down. Stop letting the pleasure of the taste from weighing you down. Stop letting the company you keep, even bad company, corrupts good character. Paul wrote that. Stop letting it weigh you down because that weight is stopping you from moving forward. These things are all good advice, but the most important thing we can do is give it to Jesus. Listen, I admit it. I was ashamed to talk to God. We need to give it shame-free, 
guilt-free. He died on the cross to take my shame and guilt away. We need to give it to Jesus. When Paul said, I don't know what I, I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do in Romans 7, he finishes with this. Thank God. The answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Too often we try to fight it ourselves. We try to fight it with our own willpower because, man, I'm strong enough. I can beat this. No, you can't. You can't do it. I'm speaking. I know. Stop trying to fight it and fight it and fight it by yourself. The Bible says pride goes before downfall. This is what it's talking about. Don't stay alone. I can do this myself. I can do this myself. Don't do this all alone. Don't do it quietly and not take this problem to God. Psalm 50, make thankfulness your sacrifice to God and keep the vows you made to the Most High. Then call on me when you are in trouble and I will rescue you. We already talked about what Paul said. I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. Listen, I think this perfectly summarizes what we should do. Paul, abort, Paul was aboard a ship that crashed in some bad weather. Then he swam onto an island leading us to Acts chapter 28. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on a fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat. I'm going to stop for a second. Driven out by the heat. The heat. The heat. The heat. The thing that gives life pushed out the thing that brings death. You need to inject life where there is death. The th Driven out by the heat, the poison snake that bit him, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to leave. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. He shook off the snake, was unharmed. Now listen, in this, in this metaphor that we're kind of using here, we, we've been harmed. But he shook off the snake. He shook it off. It's time we shake it off. We shake off. We've been bitten. We have struggles. We have addictions. We have pain. We have, we have shame. We have guilt. And now it's time to shake it off. Shake it off. Today, shake it off because there is freedom in this house. There is freedom for you. There is freedom right now in the name of God, not because you're here at this church, not because I'm saying something. There is freedom in Jesus. That's why he died for your sins. Shake it off. Shake it off. Shake off the depression. Shake off the anxiety. Shake off the porn. Shake off the alcohol. Shake off the drugs. Shake it off. Shake off what is holding you down. Shake it off and walk into freedom in Jesus' name. If everyone could just close their eyes real quick. If you need something from God, if something's been, you've been struggling, it's been weighing you down, and you're ready to shake it off, is it more important to be holy or to look holy? I want you to ask yourself that right now. If you've been feeling like, okay, he's talking a little bit about me. Is it more important to be holy or appear holy? If you need to come up and shake something off, no one's going to ask you what you're coming up for. We're not going to display it on the screen for the whole church. Billy's dealing with this. Sally has that. But if you're ready to shake it off, come up here. There's something supernatural about an altar, okay? I, know, I Listen, there's something supernatural about you willing to step forward into God. So do not miss an opportunity. Don't do what I did. I'll fight this. I can. No, you can't. 
You might do all right, but you can't. You need God, especially if you're already bound by the addiction. If you need to shake something off, whether it's something dark and heavy that we talked about today, whether it's some of the lighter stuff, if you need to shake something off, come up here to this altar and give it to God. Shame-free, guilt-free, come up here and shake it off in Jesus' name.